I want to read a, a few verses from um, Jeremiah, uh, an Old Testament passage, Jeremiah chapter 8. And this might seem initially a strange uh, reading for a new year, but bear with me and hopefully as we work through it, we'll see actually how, how relevant it is to us today. Say to them, this is what the Lord says. When people fall down, do they not get up? When someone turns away, do they not return? Why then have these people turned away? Why does Jerusalem always turn away? They cling to deceit. They refuse to return. I have listened attentively. But they do not say what is right. None of them repent of their wickedness, saying, What have I done? Each pursues their own course like a horse charging into battle. Even the stork in the sky knows her appointed seasons, and the dove, the swift, and the thrush observe the time of their migration. But my people do not know the requirements of the Lord. How can you say we are wise? For we have the law of the Lord, when actually the lying pen of the scribes has handled it falsely. The wise will be put to shame. They will be dismayed and trapped. Since they have rejected the word of the Lord, what kind of wisdom do they have? Therefore, I will give their wives to other men and their fields to new owners. From the least to the greatest, all are greedy for gain. Prophets and priests alike, all practice deceit. They dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. Are they ashamed of their detestable conduct? No, they have no shame at all. They do not even know how to blush. So they will fall among the fallen. They will be brought down when they are punished, says the Lord. I will take away their harvest, declares the Lord. There will be no grapes on the vine. There will be no figs on the tree and their leaves will wither. What I have given them will be taken from them. Why are we sitting here? Gather together. Let us flee to the fortified cities and perish there. For the Lord our God has doomed us to perish and given us poisoned water to drink. For we have sinned against him. We hoped for peace, but no good has come. For a time of healing, but there is only terror. The snorting of the enemy's horses is heard from Dan. At the neighing of their stallions, the whole land trembles. They have come to devour the land and everything in it, the city and all who live there. See, I will send venomous snakes among you, vipers that cannot be charmed and they will bite you, declares the Lord. You who are my comforter in sorrow, my heart is faint within me. Listen to the cry of my people from a land far away. Is the Lord not in Zion? Is her king no longer there? Why have they aroused my anger with their images, with their false and worthless foreign idols? The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. Since my people are crushed, I am crushed, I mourn, and horror grips me. Is there no barn in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then is there no healing for the wound of my people?
That sounds an incredible passage, doesn't it? And just to take our minds back to where it was first, uh, first captured, first heard this message from God, God's people through the prophet Jeremiah, at a time where they were appointed to, to lose their freedom and to endure a time, a time of oppression. And that reminds me, doesn't it? In fact, it hit me again that we are people of time, aren't we? We are people of time. I was watching the TV. Guess that a number of people in here were watching the TV last night. And there was that countdown from 30 seconds, huge lit up uh, numbers down in London, just ready for the fireworks to go off. 30, 29, 28, 27, countdown to zero. And then the fireworks just erupt. And then it hit me. As I was watching it, 30 seconds that we will never get back. 30 seconds that we've had that have gone. They've passed. Here we are, the first of the t- first, 2012. 2011 has passed. It is gone. We are people who live within that kind of constraint aren't we? We're people who live with time. I did a real Christmas thing uh, on Boxing Day. Uh, I read um, A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens, uh, beginning to end, virtually one sitting, uh, A Christmas Carol. Uh, And there we've got that that story of of, um, Scrooge, Ebenezer Scrooge, who was visited by three ghosts, the ghost of Christmas past, the ghost of Christmas present, and the ghost of Christmas future. And Dickens is capturing there some of that very same idea, that we're people of time, and and we look back, and we look back at time that no matter what we do, no matter what we wish, We cannot change the things in the past, can we? They've happened. Those things have been said. Those things have been done. The past is the past. Uh, And Ebenezer Scrooge is taken back and he's taken to look over those events, that momentous occasion when he decided that he wanted to pursue money rather than relationship with that beautiful young woman. And that was it, his his. His decision was made, that point in the past was made. And it seems as though we are people of time. We are people who are, in a sense, governed by time. You know why? Why are we governed by time? Because that's how God has made us. God is outside of time. But even, have you ever thought that even in a perfect world... Even in a world that was first created by him, beautiful, perfect, in our humanity, we were created as people of time. He created days. We are people of time, but God is not a God, in that sense, bound by time. For many, that issue of time is a real challenge. It brings difficulty, it brings fears, it brings 
challenges, I guess, for all of us at different points. It must do. For those of you who follow or, or are signed up to Twitter, I guess it went crazy last night. One of the most poignant tweets last night, as I was reading a few, was from the cyclist Brad, Brad Wiggins. Somebody said that you should always, um, you should never tweet uh, email, email or Facebook when you've had too much to drink. I don't know whether he'd had too much to drink, but he said this. This was his tweet uh, around about half past 11 last night. One year nearer death. That was it. Brad Wiggins, champion cyclist. He was a, he's a world champion on the track. In sporting terms, he's got the world at his feet. And yet at that moment, <laughs> half past 11 at night, something has gone off in his mind where he says, at this crucial moment, my only thought is I'm one near, year nearer death. What's going on? What's happening in our lives for that to be the case? That takes me, that very tweet takes me to Genesis chapter 3. God's perspective of our life in time. The fact that we live in this life with the consciousness that it's going to come to an end. We are bound, we are restricted. Time is precious, isn't it? But time is precious because it is limited. One year nearer death. In other words, the joy of God's creation, the joy that we are created as people who love the privilege of time is marred as people created. It's marred because now we have that continuous, enduring perspective that the preciousness of experiencing time is now limited. I guess, therefore, we live as people, if we are people who live in time because God has created us that way, I guess we are people who are shattered in our use of time. There's that little, uh, on the back of Land Rovers, if you're into Land Rovers, the, the in Land Rover phrase is, uh, one life, live it. Have you seen that sticker on the back of Land Rovers? It's kind of like saying, if you've got a life, you might as well live it to the absolute full and therefore living life to the full is kind of driving through mud and through rivers and up hills and all the rest of it in a Land Rover. Well, I guess if that's your thing, that's cool. Not my thing. But is that the sum of life? Whatever it is in your life, whatever it is in my life, we have that sense of a desperate need to live life to the full, to, to make the most of it, because it is limited. So I want to ask the question on this New Year's Day, what is living life to the full? What is it to really know full life? God's people in Jeremiah chapter 8 I guess they, even as God's people, they sum up what it is to live a life 
which is shattered in time. They are living self-serving lives. Listen to this. Verse 6. I have listened attentively, but they do not say what is right. None of them repent of their wickedness, saying, What have I done? Each pursues their own course, like a horse charging into battle. Each pursues their own course. Don't we live in a life, in a world that's filled with that kind of life? Everybody is just charging like a horse into battle and pursuing their lives to their own satisfaction. Can't we honestly say that we have that inclination as well? That we have the inclination to charge through life pursuing self-satisfaction. I have my eyes fixed on what is going to satisfy me in life and I am like a horse charging into battle. I love the pictures of the Bible. They're amazing. This picture of a horse charging into the battle. In one sense, a horse charging is an incredible sight. It's an incredible sight, a horse chasing uh, with great power and grace. But what's it chasing towards? It's chasing towards crisis and devastation, isn't it? That's what a horse charging into battle is, is really a picture of. It's chasing into crisis. It's not chasing across kind of green pastures with freedom and liberty. It's got all of those movements. It's got all of the movements of freedom and grace and liberty. But it's charging into battle, into crisis, into devastation. And do you know what? I think so many of us are living life like that. We're living life charging into devastation because we are totally fixed on living life my way. I'm going to live life my way. And you know what? We know, don't we? We know instinctively. We know experientially. Our experience of life tells us that living life according to my self-interest is ultimately destructive. It is destructive. If you have two people who are in a relationship and each one of those people is living determinedly for their own self-interest, what is going to happen to that relationship? It's going to crash, isn't it? It's just going to crash and burn. If we live our lives in relationship which is totally filled with self-interest, it's going to crash. Is it any different, therefore, if we live our lives in the face of God with total self-interest that we are like horses charging into battle? Crisis and devastation. I want to, I want to point us in a direction at the beginning of this year. Are we going to be people who are reconsidering the focus of our lives? Are we going to be people who are reconsidering that I am no longer going to live, I am determined to live, abandoning self-interest? So where do we go? So the first thing is that they are living with self-interest. The next thing that we find, and this terrifies anybody who is in this situation, of being in this position right now. They twist God's words. Listen to what they say. 
verse uh, 10 and 11. From the least to the greatest, all are greedy for gain. Prophets and priests alike all practice deceit. They dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. I find those verses terrifying. Uh, Let me be really open with you. I'll explain why I find them frightening. Because if I'm open with you, hopefully it will help us to be open with each other and with ourselves. I find a continuous battle in being responsible to proclaim God's word to do this. To want to make it okay. To want to use God's word to say it's okay when it is not okay. To twist what the Bible says so that I don't have to confront the challenges of the world that we live in today. Both in my life and in the lives of us as people. That is a huge challenge. That is what's going on in this verse. They're taking God's word and they're saying peace, peace. It's all fine. It's all okay when there is no peace. Twisting God's word so that we can live with self-interest. That's a terrible thing. That is a frightening thing. And all of that is going on in the very context of passing time. Look at what it says in verse 20. The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. It's like saying, another year has gone by. That's effectively what that verse is saying, isn't it? Another, another harvest, another summer has gone. We could put it like this right now, we could say another Christmas has passed. It, it's How much anticipation... How much preparation, how much planning, how much hope. And let me just be the first to say, it's work this week. (laughs) We're back. That's it. It's over. It's past. Time has passed. And all of these things are still continuing. There's a great film. Wouldn't recommend it to everybody, but there's a great film which really captures the challenge of living. It's the film Magnolia. And at one point in that film, somebody says, it's got to stop now. All of my experience, all of my life, all of the way that I have lived, it's got to stop now. And I think that that is a great wake-up verse to say, stake in the ground, it's got to stop now. Here's a moment in time for us to say, I'm not going to live with self-interest and I'm not going to live twisting God's words. But, so if we are those people who are living in that kind of shattered experience, what does this tell us? Why is Jeremiah incredibly relevant for us today? I think it's relevant because of this. We could be just like those same people, living like that, And having a mindset that says, okay, that says that God's word is all about me getting hold of my bootstraps and pulling myself up a lot harder. 
and working a lot harder and doing a lot harder and getting a grip of it. This is God's people who are in trouble. This is God's people who are living lives which are not consistent with their calling. What does that really say? I think it really says this. It really says that we need a better saviour than we can be for ourselves. No matter how hard we try, no matter how hard we try to stop twisting words, no matter how hard we try to stop self-interest living, we are destined to failure. We're living in time shattered and broken. What do we need? We need a better saviour. We need a better saviour. We need somebody who actually comes into this world and does not live with self-interest. We need a God who will break into time. Our time. The time that we live. The time that we are confined to. Do you see what happened at Christmas? God comes into this world. God comes in with the constraints of this life. The constraints of being born. The constraints of time and days and nights. The constraints of death. That's the God that we have. And he lives in his humanity. I had a great conversation with one of my nephews over Christmas. And we were talking about that amazing ex, uh, period of time where, where Jesus is tempted. What is that all about and as we were talking something just it just came to mind and we were talking about it and you know what happens at that point at least this happens satan comes to jesus and repeatedly he says this in different ways he says i need i'm going to tempt you to live in this life by grabbing more of your divinity and bringing it into your humanity. To overstretch your humanity. You see that? Jesus, starving, hungry. Oh, but you're God. You can turn stones into bread. <laughs> and no longer live like every other human being in this world. No longer live like you and me. Overstretch your divinity and bring a bit more down to make your life comfortable in this world. And what does Jesus do? He doesn't twist the words of God. He uses the words of God. And he says, man shall not live by bread alone. He uses the very words of God without any twist. Without any bending. And he says, I am going to live really as a human being. On three occasions, that's what Jesus does. He lives in his humanity. He breaks into this world. He dwells in time. Paul puts it like this to the Corinthian church. He says this. What is it, what is it that we are doing this afternoon? No. We declare God's wisdom. A mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. There was a time 
Oh, this, okay, get your brains around this one. There was a time when time didn't exist. Does that make sense? Doesn't, does it, for us as human beings? Does for God. There was a time before time. And Jesus was. And then Paul says, and we're now declaring that Jesus is. He came into this world. The God who was outside of time breaks into this world. To do what? To save us. So that we can live in time again without the fear of death. Have you ever thought Jesus in his resurrection body still lived in time? He did. In his resurrection body he sat down at the side of a lake and he did things sequentially one after the other. He picked up some fish, he put it to his mouth, he ate it. That's time. That's Jesus living in time. It's not some kind of disembodied, weird, spiritual thing. Jesus is a real human being in his divinity, living in time, yet resurrected. He does things in time. What does that say to you and me? It says that if we believe and we trust in him, we will live in time for eternity, if you can get your head around that. There'll be no end, but there'll still be time in the sense that we will do things with a consciousness of time. We will do things one after the other because Jesus says, that's how I am in my resurrection body. That's how you will be. You know what? I don't want to be a weird, super kind of ethereal, spiritual being that floats around outside of time. Because that's not how God has made me. He's made me to experience what it is to live in time. That's what, how he made Adam and Eve. That's how he is going to redeem this world. And we are destined, if we believe and trust in him, to live in eternal time experiencing things that we do, experiencing eternal life, sharing in relationship, sharing in beautiful experience, one with the other. And that's what Jesus came to save us from. Do you know what? I just want to reverse Brad Wiggins' tweet. And I want to say, one year nearer life. Not one year nearer death. One year nearer life. Because right now it's one year with less death. <laughs> it's one year less death. Because now I am alive in Jesus. And I am eternally alive. I know that one day I will, my body will end if Jesus doesn't come again. One day my body will pack up. Yours will, mine will. But then life, one year nearer life. Jesus breaks it to make sense of the fear 
of, of a constraint of time. And he says, you know what? You're not made to live with the constraint of time. You're not meant to live with the limited resource of time. You're meant to live forever. And I've come to give it to you. Life eternal. That is great news. But it's not all about that time out there either. There's another verse in Joel which says this. I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. The great locusts and the young locusts, the other locusts and the locust swarm, my great army I sent among you. God uses those natural experiences of life and experiences that he sends upon his people, tragedies and natural crises, locust locust swarms in ancient days were devastating. And he says, you know what, your life, my life. And I look back, and you look back, the years that have gone by, The years like Ebenezer Scrooge which are there and they've happened and the experiences have been not great and the things that have been done have been not good and I've been distant and I've been cold towards Jesus Christ my Lord and my God. All of those experiences which say that is a devastating past Jesus says I'll restore all of those years. Where else can you hear that message? Outside of an eternal Jesus, where else can you say those years don't matter anymore? They can be restored. They cannot be restored outside of an eternal Jesus. Because outside of eternity, they are always a used up bit of the scarce resource of time. That is broken and shattered. We believe in a Jesus who redeems life so that those years will be eternally redeemed, so that they will make sense, so that even those times of the locust swarm can be seen with the perspective of God's hand. I want to encourage you this afternoon at the beginning of this year to see the God who we worship in Jesus. A God who has broken into our time so that we might experience, as he said, eternal life. Life in time, yes but not constrained, not with a limit, but perfect.